Good evening, everybody. We are here with our first Q&A of the second month. We welcome you all and thank you for everybody who sent in the questions. We have such a lot of backlog, but we'll try to finish it off as time permits. And uh, this evening, before we start, once again, we will look to the Lord. Pastor Vidya, could you lead us in prayer? <clears throat> Father, we just want to thank you once again for this evening. Thank you, Father, for every opportunity that you give to us to come to listen to your word, and especially through this medium of question and answers. Thank you, Father, for all the questions that your children have sent from all around the world. I pray, Father, that, Lord, your anointing would rest over your servant. Lord, you would grant us all the spirit of wisdom and revelation that every answer that we receive, Lord, that you would make it relevant to every situation that we are going through, O Lord, and grant us wisdom from above, and, Lord, the power and the grace to keep the word that we have heard this evening. Thank you once again for this time. We commit this entire time into your hands, O Lord Jesus. Let your name be glorified and exalted. And let your people be drawn and comforted towards you, O Lord. We thank you. We praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Yes, Pastor Vijay. Pastor, we'll start with question number three. Um, this is question number three, two parts. It says, um, names are given by those in authority over us. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 20, Adam names his wife. Parents usually name the action. Yeah, 220, yes. Um, parents usually name their children. Whatever name you agree with has authority over you. Whatever name you agree with has authority over you. It's a question mark. In the name of identity you hold, in the name of identity or identity, or, or identity you hold is evil or false. Then it can become a curse. Can it become a curse? Sometimes people are given names that can bring guilt or shame. Guilt has to do with what we have done and shame usually has to do with your self-image. That's another question. Shame is a sense of being, a de- uh, shame is a sense of being a de- as defective as a person. Uh, Jabez means pain giver. Need you to explain about names. Fundamental principle, if you look over there, if you go to the book of, uh, Genesis and chapter 2 and uh, verse 19 and 20. Out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the air and brought them to Adam to see. Brought them to Adam to see what you would call them and whatever Adam called each living creature, that was its name. So Adam gave names to all cattle, to the birds of the air, to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not. So you see over there. Now one of the fundamental things about naming here is that first you are identifying something. Mm. Okay, first name is by which you identify. And second thing is that uh, if you go to Genesis 1, and verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over cattle, over all the earth, over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So Adam is made in God's image. And then one of the things that is given to Adam on behalf of God is to exercise dominion. Hmm. And one of the first ways you exercise dominion is by naming. Mm. Okay, exercise dominion is by naming. 
Okay, let's simply take a simple example. You bought a puppy. Mm-hmm. You bought a puppy. One of the first things you teach the puppy is to respond to its name. Yep. Okay, you give it a name. And then when you call the name, the puppy has to respond. So you're exercising dominion. Okay, so understand then the, the, the purpose of name. First it is identifying. He calls a lion a lion, a tiger a tiger, whichever language you use then. Okay, so it's identifying the lion is different from the tiger. So it's a mark of identity. And the name actually, when he's naming it, like in our languages, whichever language you use, if it's Hebrew, I don't think he used Hebrew. We don't know which language he used, mm-hmm. but the name will also talk about the nature of the beast. So you need to realize when Adam was was made in God's image, his mind was brilliant, brilliant mm-hmm. to be able to name all the... And God is bringing, so we don't know how long this process took place, okay? So God is working with Adam in human time. So you can't name everything in 24 hours or one week, okay, but we are not saying that that many animals were what we have today was there in original creation because, you know, they come in families, like you have the cat family and the dog family, so all God has to create is the head, like Jacob is created, you have Israel, mm. okay, so and as they breed further, you have various varieties, like in the first man was all men, okay, so I personally do not think he made all the varieties what we see today in the beginning. What he did was making the the head of the families, the pairs, and then from them over time you have different varieties coming in, but you can trace their origin back to one. So, But here you see Adam is naming and is exercising dominion. Okay, dominion. And then Okay, and uh, God brought the woman also over there, and man said, in verse 23, this is now the bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh, and she shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. This is one of another fundamental thing which you need to hear is that, you know, uh, that's where headship comes, headship comes. But her naming is not the same like the naming of the animals, because she is part of it. Mm part of him. Basically, he's naming her and saying that you are out of me. Part of me. Yeah, You are woman. Okay, so again, but there is headship coming, there is authority coming over there. But you will see, once the fall begins, there is battle for dominion. Hmm. Battle for dominion. I do believe before the fall came and uh, there was no rebellion even or fear of man even in the animals. They all obeyed. Then later all these things start setting in. Start setting in. But when you come to chapter 4 of Genesis and verse 1. Now Adam knew Eve his wife and she conceived and bore Cain and said, I have acquired a man from the Lord. Lord. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now you don't see Adam there, you see Eve over there. Okay, so you know she's exercising dominion over there. Exercising dominion over there. You will see that with Jacob's children also. (laughs) The only one Jacob got a chance to name was Benjamin. (laughs) 
But by then the mother had already named him something else. <laughs> he also named. Okay, so you will see naming is a, not a small thing in the Bible. It's a big thing. It's a big thing because it one identifies, it expresses the desire of the one who is naming as to what he or she, the parents, expect from the children. Okay, and then there is God who names. Like Isaac was named neither by uh, Abraham or Sarah. Isaac was named by God. We shall call him Isaac. Like in the same way, John was named by God, not by Zachariah or Elizabeth. Okay, so you will have also see God naming and God changing the names yes. of people. Abraham becomes Abraham, Sarai becomes Sarah. Sarai, Sarai is the most confusing name change because actually in Hebrew both names mean the same. So what actually happened over there, we, we are not very, very sure about it unless Hebrew lost its original meaning of Sarai and Sarah. Okay, so we are not very sure about it. Then we have Jacob becoming Israel. Becoming Jacob, becoming Israel. So names are there. One, it identifies who you are. Second, it expresses the desire of the parent. Okay, and as a person in authority, so when the person names it, it has power. It has power. And then we see the name of Jabez. Okay, the name of Jabez. Okay, and when Jabez or Jabez is named, he actually means pain. Okay. And that's why he cries out. So some, sometimes a name can be a blessing yeah. and a name can be a curse. curse. Can be a curse. But it does not mean the naming has only certain effect on a person. After that, it's still, still, uh, there are other factors that come into a person's life which will determine his destiny. But naming still has its own power even now today. Even up today. So you will see when Daniel and his friends are brought in over there, immediately what are happening? They're changing their names. Changing their names. They're changing their names according to their gods. Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, these are all their gods. Mm. And they're naming after their gods. So they're changing their identity. But the thing is that uh, when you are in God, see there are two things which we do. When we baptize a person, when you baptize a person, when he comes out of the water, we usually, if he's not from a Christian background, and they come out, we give a new name as the Lord gives so that, you know, let him walk in that newness and not be hampered by that old name which may not fit in with the new life. Yes. The new life. You will see the same thing happening in the Babylonian culture when the Jews are coming in. They are changing their names according to their gods. But, those who believed their new names did not affect their destiny. Okay, this is the fundamental principle we have that the, the name that God has given you has more power than what the enemy names you. Okay, so they have their old names, but they are called in the Babylonian culture by their new names. But these four people who set themselves apart for God, they are still walking in the destiny of their New names, or sorry, old names. Like you have another two people, we have Mordecai and Esther. Now we are not very sure about the origin of these names, mm. but it seems Babylonian. Mordecai could be from the Babylonian called Marduk, and Esther could be from the Babylonian called Istar. Istar, yes. Istar. Okay, so you see down the, just the names are changing. The 
names are changing, but it still does not make a difference in their lives. Okay, they're still standing in the identity of who they are, Israel. So you have all these various names which is there in the Bible about all these people, about let us say all the Jewish names, but they're covered by one name called Israel. Okay, that is their protection. They are Israel. <laughs> they are Israel, prince with God and prince with man. So they have to identify themselves as Israel. Israel. And then there is a split and they become Jew. Jew means Yehudi. Yehudi. Yeah. It's, it's not Israel. It is one tribe, Judah. Judah. So when they say Judah, so they are a people who should bring praise to God. But more than all of that, we all have different names we have given. But we have been, been baptized in one name. That's the name of Jesus. The name above every other name. <coughs> So fundamentally, every believer has to identify himself with the name of Christ. That's where his strength and his power comes from. The, the, the destiny of naming and the influence that has. So God understands that. So he says, you know what you need to do? The new covenant, when it begins, be baptized in my name. Lose your old identity with whatever name it was when you rise up. You are rising up in the name of Jesus. And there is no other name above. Philippians talks about he has given him a name above every other name. These are fundamental facts. Because yes, our parents named us. All those names are there. They are good names and all. But remember, we are baptized into. It's like you have a whole person and you have various parts of the body. But this whole person is Mm. called James. Yes. Called James. Okay, this is hand. This is the hand of James. Mm-hmm. These are eyes. These are the eyes of. So we have this in the same way. We have various parts, but the name is Jesus. Mm-hmm. Name is Jesus. That's how we go back. We go back. This is all what we call because we have an issue with uh, identity politics everywhere, mm-hmm. and we shouldn't be getting into that at all because we have been given the name above every other name. First, we have been baptized into His name. Second, we have been raised up together with Him. Third, we have been seated with Him. This is how we see our spiritual identity. So, and there is no greater. If you go to Ephesians chapter one. And verse 3. Blessed be God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Even our all of our blessings are in Christ, the person and the name. Every promise given to us is yes and amen in that name. See, the problem, we always struggle. We always struggle is that, no? See, this is where God has put this, uh, put this, uh, marriage as a picture for us. He uses pictures to explain us his mysteries, right? He puts the pictures and says, the husband and wife, they are two, but they are not two, they are one. They are one. So he puts it across Christ and the church so that we see the picture. So you will see that until modern times, whenever a woman got married, she changed her name from a father's name to a husband's name. That's how it was. That's her identity from the headship of her father to the headship of her husband. Her identity was always merged with a man. She did not try to have a name of her own. It was always with the, with the man. And the thing is that, that is what God has done with the church. 
The church does not have an identity or should not have an identity apart from Christ. Apart from Christ. Our identity is completely merged with Christ. And that is where we have to keep thinking. Whenever things come in, no, we do not, we should not use the, you should not think about the name of Jesus as something that we use to exercise power, but we should actually seize our identity in that name first. We use the name in the name of Jesus, but we don't identify with that name. So what happens is we are using his power, but we are still saying we are not part of the person. Part of the person. And the same thing happens in marriages. You can use the name of your husband, but still try to live a life which is completely different from your father, with your husband's life. With your own ambition and desires and this thing and all. And so what happens is, the same thing happens with your life with God. You use the name of Christ. Whenever there is trouble, you use the name of Christ. When you want to rebuke something, you use the name of Christ. When you want to ask something for God, use the name of Christ. But you don't identify with the person that is behind the name. But God says marriage is a mystery. He says, I'm talking about Christ and the church. They are one. And that is the power of the name. Because all these names are there. All these names are there. But we have been given our names. So how do we escape from the the curses that come with names? And how do we rise above the blessings that is attached to your name? Because we have been given the name in which is every blessing. Again, like my name, my father named me Santosh, which means joy. But joy is only one blessing. What about righteousness and peace? Whatever righteousness, but that's in the name of Jesus. Anyone who calls upon that name will be saved. Anyone who calls upon that name will not be put to shame. So it is not that joy that is one factor alone. Everything of God is in that name. And He's given us that name. So Jabez understands. Okay, whatever happened, his father's name is not mentioned there. He's, he's not mentioned there. So probably we do not know the, the nature or the circumstances of his birth. And whatever it was, it was very painful, miserable for her mother, his mother. Maybe he abandoned, her father abandoned or he died. So she, like, you know, whatever it is, a lot of, lot of mothers, a lot of mothers who are what we call unwanted pregnancies. There are no unwanted pregnancies in God's sight or the human sight. They curse their children even before they are born without even realizing, I wish this had died. I wish they had never have all kind of things. They say, this child will only bring me pain, all kind of stuff they say, and it has power. And Jabez realizes something wrong with my life. Everything is going wrong in my life. Okay. So, what he does is that because there is no nobody to change it because this has been done by the parents whoever it is who named him has got so there is no higher authority other than God for him to appeal to. Appeal to. This is what God is doing with Jacob too. Jacob is holding on to him and says, unless I bless you, unless you bless me, I will not let you go. But the question is, how can God bless him? Because the problem is... Uh, you need to understand, Jacob, why are you so miserable? Why are you miserable? Didn't your father bless you? But the problem is your father blessed you, thinking you were Esau. <laughs> and before that I had told your mother, the elder shall serve the younger. So you have been there in your father-in-law's house 20 years. You see, when God prospers a man, he never adds trouble to it. Mm -hmm. So he is so prosperous and miserable. Why? 
because you serve whom you fear. He's only fearing Esau. So when he told his father, I am Esau, spiritually he received a blessing because his father thought he was Esau. So now what is happening? The other thing God told his mother before his birth is now taking place. He becomes the older one and he's serving the younger one. Because if he's Esau, then Esau is Jacob. And he's living in fear of Esau, his actual brother, elder brother. So God says, if I have to change it, your blessings, if I have to bless you, you have to tell me what's your name. What's your name? <coughs> so he says, my name is Jacob. Okay, so first time. Because, but only somebody higher than can cancel it. Okay, so in his case, God himself comes in because God has a huge plan for him because he's going to be Israel. So God changes his name over there. And then you will see a difference taking place. Immediately you will realize. The narrative is very, very clear. When he ran from his father's house, it's all because of marriage and all, but basically they were scared. Esau would kill him. So he's running from his father's house in the beginning because of fear. The Bible says very clearly the sun set down on him. And that's the night he has an encounter, first encounter with God. But after this major encounter at Peniel, when he's named Israel, the next thing that is written is the sun rose above him. He's limping now, but he's not afraid. The next day morning you see him running to meet Esau ahead of The previous night he had put himself at, at the last, put everybody on the other side, he was the last. But the next day morning when there is a change in name and change in destiny and change in purpose, the blessing, power, everything is now flowing in. He's right in the front running to meet Esau and there is reconciliation. And after that you will see Jacob's life changing. Changes completely Jacob's life. He's now acting like Israel. Though he flips back and forth, you will see the narrative Jacob, Israel, Jacob, Israel coming in. Sometimes he flips to his old nature. Sometimes he's walking like Israel. Okay, but that's what names can do. But what we have to realize is that we have been given a name, mm. and in that name of Jesus, Jesus says, All authority and power in heaven and earth has been given to me. In my name you go. In my not only are we baptized in his name, we are also being authorized to use his name and to go forth in his name. So we have to believe it. We ultimately escaping everything with the naming that has been done by people over our lives. Those who call us names, because you know, curses are also associated with names. They will curse you in the name of their God. Oh, you look at how does Goliath curse David. Yes. He cursed him in the names of his gods. They will curse you in the name of their gods, you know. And all these things are floating around. But we have been given a covering. And the covering is the name of Jesus. The name of Jesus. But to have it effective, to be very, very truly to be effective, we have to identify with the person that is behind that name. That is what God is symbolizing by marriage. The marriage. Now the father hands the girl over to this man. Once he, once he takes over the man, actually, you know what? Why he's doing it, it's for security. Now she's under his security. She doesn't have to fear as much as a man. Sometimes women don't understand how men react. You know, when men says no, you're always saying no. The reason is not that he's saying no. Where he comes from is a different place altogether because he knows that he's responsible 
for this person. The woman is not responsible for the man the same way. He is responsible. Okay. So the church has to realize in the same way, you know what? Christ is responsible for me. I am responsible for his name. That I don't mar his name. I don't this thing. No, I'm his reputation, all that. I am responsible for his name. But he is responsible for my life. And that's where we see our identity. Identity. Once we see the identity, the name starts working with more power, more effective it becomes. So yes, as the question says, the name is a very important thing. Especially in every culture. It's a big thing. So it's, uh, the, there's a question which I believe could be a corollary to this. Uh, this is question number two. Again, it's two parts uh, because you were talking about fear. Mm. Uh, the nature of our inner man is the nature of God. Our spirit was was recreated in His image. Um, Romans chapter eight and verse twenty-nine, First Corinthians three twelve, Colossians three ten, etc. Mm. The nature of our inner man is totally the opposite of the nature of the old, you know, yeah. older man. Okay, the old man. The old man was a slave to the sinful nature of the flesh and we therefore are prone to fear and intimidation. Would you agree? The old man always fears. Yes. See, the, the, the old man and the new man are, are fundamentally of two different seed. Mm. Two different seed. The new man, if you look at it, no, like, uh, uh, 1st Peter 1.23, this is the nature of the new man. Having been born again, not of corruptible. So we were born of corruptible seed. Now we are born again of incorruptible seed. So the nature of the seed. Okay, It's not that the new man is totally like God. He has in seed form. That's what we need to understand. Every person who is born again has the nature of God. Nature, not omniscient. Um, don't get it wrong, okay? <laughs> because people can run away with that. We don't have that. That is, that is God's. But we are now being recreated in the original way. Adam was made in the image and the likeness of God. Now we are being cre- recreated in the image and the likeness of God. But it is seed form. It is seed form. Okay, seed form. Now you take a seed. Given the right conditions in that seed is the tree. The whole tree. It is there. If you look at the seed, it is so small. But in that seed, it's the whole plant or the tree or the herb or whatever seed. It's everything is there in its DNA. That's what God is doing over there. Okay. So in the new man, in the new man. But God, Jesus uses so many illustrations for this. So many illustrations for this. The thing is that the old man is also there. They are both growing in the same field. <laughs> The field is the body. These two people are existing in the same body. And the simple question is, who will use the body? Every day that is our challenge. Who is going to use this body? Because the problem is that there is only one vessel for these two people to live in. The new man is there. The old man is there. The problem is the old man has lived in this body much longer than the new man. See, depending upon when you get saved, mm. okay, let us say, let us say I got saved at 50. I didn't get saved at 50 much, much donkey. See, let us say I got saved. So by the time I get saved at 50 or 60 or 70 or 80, the older you get, the old, 
the old man has lived in this body for a long time. So even this body, physical body, which in itself does not have life, the soul gives its life, but the body is so much used to the old man. It's used to the old man. Then there is the soul part. The soul is what has to be transformed. That is the will, the mind and the emotions. Even these three have been used by the old man for such a long time. And the new man comes. The new man is born in the spirit of God and he is seated over there and he looks down. The soul doesn't listen to him. The body has goes with the old man. Okay. That is why God says over there, the first thing he says is, you know what? Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. Okay, the first thing is, do nothing. Don't let the old man take you. Surrender your body. But this is a process. This is a process. Okay. The old man, <coughs> after man fell, or after Adam and fell, if you go to, to, Genesis chapter 3 and, uh, and, uh, verse 10, 3, 10. Okay. After Genesis 3 and verse 10. He said, I heard your voice in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. Okay. You will see when uh, man falls, wages of sin is death. That does not mean they physically died immediately. Adam died 900 years later. But, uh, there are manifestations of this death. Okay. When Adam is spiritually, first he dies spiritually, he is cut away from God. Then the physical effect starts taking place. The first manifestation of that death that takes place or the symptom is that two things get in. One is fear, the other is shame. Look over there. I was afraid. Because I was naked. And I was naked. So he's afraid and he's ashamed. And that's why immediately the first thing, see he's not afraid of Eve, Eve is not afraid, but they're covering themselves. The first thing they see is covering themselves and covering themselves from all the other animals. Shame gets in. Shame gets in. And then fear gets in. And if you look at these are the two things that control the old man. Most of the things which he does is because of fear, or to cover his fear, or because of shame, or to cover his shame. These are the two fundamental things which he does, which he does. And the third thing he does, what controls the old man. If you come to Genesis chapter 3, and verse 23. Therefore the Lord sent him out of the garden of Eden to till the ground, from which he was taken. So the second thing is that he is cast out from the presence of God. Cast out from the presence of God. Okay. And there is only one way he can come back. And it is a way that is barred for him. Other than through Christ. So after that what he is trying to do is that. There is this thing. He is always trying to win the approval of God. That's what Cain is doing. That's why Cain is upset with Abel. Mm-hmm. God says, you can do whatever you want. There's only one way you can come to me. It's through what I have done. Through the blood. So you will see there is anger, there is fear, there is uh, shame, 
there is competition between Adam and Eve. You can see the conflict over that curse that you shall desire your husband, but he shall control you. And then you will see the anger or the frustration of man in trying to win God's approval. Because all religion ends up in frustration. The frustration. Because you realize, whether you're a Muslim or a Hindu or whatever, if you're a religious person, you will realize, you know what, at the end I can never get up and go believing that my God is satisfied. Hmm. Not satisfied. So all these things come in with the old man. Okay, But the new man is first, he has to realize that everything you're receiving from God is a free gift. It's a free gift. You can never earn it. It is given. So the first thing he has to do is stop trying. Stop trying. Stop trying. You cannot by your works please God. So first stop trying. Go to God and receive it by faith. Okay. And that's the most difficult. The first bridge to cross is the bridge of humility. Okay. I shall humble myself and I will go to God and receive it as. Because the old man is a very proud man. That's why the gospel is preached to the poor. The proud don't receive it. Okay, the poor have because of their own natural circumstances has been humbled. Because they have to, for their belly's sake, they have to humble themselves and go ask for a job, ask for something, can you? So the natural circumstances because of the curse that has come on, poverty has naturally caused them to be humble. A rich man is not humble. It takes him much more to get humble. But the poor man is naturally humble. So you know what? When the gospel is received, preached to him, he receives it much more easier, easier than a rich man. When I'm talking about rich, you can be rich in money, you can be rich in knowledge, you can be rich in status. Okay. If you look at it, is that how difficult it is for uh, Nicodemus to receive the gospel. He comes in the night and goes in the night. How easy it was for the Samaritan woman to receive the gospel. Yeah. How easy it was. She doesn't need anything. Just told her her actual state. This is who you are. And that was enough for her. You know why? Because her life, her entire life, the humiliation of the life, the sorrow and the suffering of the life has humbled her and brought her to the point where she will receive the grace easily. So these are all problems of the fall. So fear comes in. And we, we do not realize so many things which people do is because they are either afraid or they are ashamed. And as long as you live in fear and shame, the whole thing is that the, the new man can never show through you. Because basically what, see the old man is a hypocrite. He is a hypocrite. When he is afraid, he will not show his fear. Okay? He pretends to be brave. Okay? See, everything he puts on, everything, okay. And he, if he's ashamed of himself, he will give big titles to himself. If you have noticed in Telangana or Andhra Pradesh, you have noticed. Everybody puts a reddy into their name. Because nobody wants to be identified with anything else. Have you noticed? 
So the name is also part of your shame. And to cover your shame. Much like if you go to Kerala, you have uh, Christians over there, you have Christians over there, and then the, the Portuguese came, the white missionaries came in, and they started converting. I mean, if you want to use that term, they started preaching the gospel, people started getting saved. This was different from Thomas's mission. In 59 AD, he came. His, his mission, the legend says, we don't know how true it is, that he brought seven Nambudiri families to the Lord. Nambudiris are the highest class Brahmins. They were the first seven households and from there came the rest of the Christians. So when these people, the missionaries' father came and where they were preaching the gospel to the poor and the poor from the lower caste coming in, there came in a division. Hmm. So you have two Christians over there. One is called the Syrian Christian. The other Christian. Why do you use the term Syrian Christian? Because you don't want to be identified with that one because it's shame for you. Shame for you. Shame for you. So you need to understand in Kerala that's how it works. If a girl who's from a Syrian family goes to her husband or to her father and says, I like a boy, I want the first question the father will ask is whether he's Syrian or not, before he will ask anything else. If it is not Syrian, don't go further. I don't want to hear anything more. So shame brings inferiority. It brings superiority complex. All the things fit in. No? If you go to Galatians uh, 5, 10 or 5, 11. No, no, not 5, 6. 6, uh, 15, 6, 15. Galatians 6, 15. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision. Okay, the circumcised were very proud. They looked at the others as Gentiles and dogs and everything, okay? <laughs> Nor uncircumcision avails anything but a, a new, new creation. creation okay? yep. And this new creation, if you allow that man to grow in the right conditions, you know what? He's not afraid. He's not afraid. He's not afraid because one, he knows whose he is, not who he is, whose he is. And second, death has lost its power over him or her because all fear ultimately will go to, he's connected with death and he understands, he has to understand, the new man has to be taught. First, he only understands he's forgiven from the penalty of sin. The new man needs a lot of teaching lot of teaching about what a new man is. Yes, yeah. Okay? So he has to be taught this is who you are and who you are and that you don't have to fear. Don't have to fear. You can reject fear. Allow, never allow that fellow to come. God did not give you but what he has given you. The death has been broken. So you never have to fear death. You never have to fear shame also. Shame also because you may go through temporary shame. But if you do not give in to that, you will have eternal glory. Yeah. Yes. Eternal glory. Because ultimately, see, his mind has to be, let's use that term, he has to be renewed. Yeah. Renewing of his mind. We don't want to use the term which is used as programming, which that's what all of you use, but it's the same thing. <laughs> the mind has to be renewed to think like the new man. New man. Okay. okay. Yes, there is shame. In the, in the natural realm which you are owing, because we are all, we are all there. Shame is there. 
okay? But you can endure that shame because you're looking at what? You look at your Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 2. Okay. Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. Why could he despise the shame? See, we can spit on him. We can pluck his bird. We can strip him of all his clothes. We can hang up in public. But it never changes who he is. It despises him. You can do whatever you want. But one day when you see me, you won't even look at my face. The closest to him when he was on planet Earth was John. And when John saw him, fell at his feet like one dead. And it describes how he is. So he knows who he is. So he's not worried about the shame of what people is doing to him. This is how you break the barrier of fear and shame. One fear. I will not. You go to Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 14 and 15. In an in so much as then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same, that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is the devil, and release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. Everything is connected to death. Everything to us. Everything is connected to death. There are two things. One is death. One is death. The other is the devil. Death is also a spirit. Please understand. Death is a place. Yes. It's a spirit. It's an experience. Death is many things. But death is also a spirit. God will take death and also put it into the lake of fire. So death is there. And Satan got the power of death because God spoke. Wages of sin is death. Yes. That's when he gets that power. So he will try to cause man to sin. As you have sinned, he gets power over you. So what did God do? God took care of sin first. First thing he does is that he takes care of sin, the penalty. Then he takes care of the law because he fulfilled the law. He fulfilled the law, so he took care of the law. Second, he took care of sin. He became the atonement for the sin. First, he takes care of the law. He was perfect, never, never sinned. This is what the law required. Nobody could keep the law. Law cannot be cancelled out. It cannot be taken out of the way because it is of God. It is holy. So what did Jesus do? He fulfilled the law for all of us. Mm. Yes. And for all of us who are in him, he took the law out. out. You don't have to worry about keeping the law. I kept it for you. Yep. That is what it means. It is not the law has gone away. It has been taken out of the way because he kept it, the law for us. Don't look for the righteousness that comes from the law. You cannot do it, but I did it for him. The law was taken. Second, when sin was put on him, when sin was put on him, he took the atonement. He became sin for us. He became curse for us. So he took sin also out of the way. Now when he rises from the dead, he took death also out of the way. That is how we are released from all this. We are released. See, now when you sin, you should not fear like the old man fears. For him, when he sins, it's always connected with death. If you fear like that, you're still getting deceived by the devil. Yes. Yes. Still getting deceived by the devil. Okay? Because you believed in Jesus and you are in Jesus Christ when you are sinning, when you are sinning, it's actually the old man who is using the body because the new man is weak. How do you overcome? 
many teachings are there in the Bible. But how do you overcome? The way you overcome is allowing the new man, man to grow and grow fast. The faster the new man grows and the weaker the old man becomes. Remember the old story we always talk about, that man who came with those two dogs every weekend to the marketplace, the white dog and the black dog. Okay, and every evening and every Saturday or Sunday, the dogs fought. People put their bets. One Saturday, the black dog won, and the Saturday, the white dog won. And he always made his money. Some people lost, some people, he always got his money. So one day somebody asked him, how come each week it's a different dog or it's never the same? He says, depends upon which dog I feed through the week. Okay, so there are two things which God asks us to do. One, he says, don't feed the old man. Don't feed the old man. Second, feed the new man. Okay. The problem is that's why people think we are very legalistic. We are not legalistic. When we, if you look into almost any home in our church, almost 99, I don't know, I haven't gone into every home, but I think every home I go, I don't think there's hardly any home with a TV. And if there is a TV, it is used for something else. It doesn't have a cable connection. Okay. Because what happens is that the more you see these things of the world, let us leave the lust of the world aside. Other than that, what comes in is fear and shame comes in. And discontent comes in. Discontent comes in. The world itself is being created for the old man. So if you are sitting there and listening and reading and watching the world, then the old man is getting stronger. It's getting strong. It is getting strong. Okay. On the other hand, you choose to switch that off. Switch that off. But that's not enough. That's not enough. There are a lot of people who do that. That's why the problem is if you look into our ancient sages and our Indian culture, they went to the Himalayas and they shut the world off. But they could not renew the new man because there was no new man. <laughs> so when they came back immediately, they tripped over because the old man was only shut off. There was no new man. Hmm. There's no new man. No new man. Okay. So the new man actually begins with Christ. Yeah. Begins with Christ. Okay. There are only two men. There is the first man, Adam, and the second man, Jesus. First Adam and last Adam. You read the book of Corinthians chapter 14, 44 or 45, if I'm right. There are only two men. These are prototypes. Exactly. You have SLV1, SLV2, SLV3, SLV4. No? Solar, look, in the old days we used to call it because who goes and falls into the sea. Is like we were students in Kerala, so we used to call it sea landing vehicle. <laughs> <laughs> okay. We used to say, oh, that also fell in the... So, there are all, these are all prototypes, okay? See, the Chinese made the first rocket. Elon Musk has improved on it. Okay, that's why we still get our fireworks from China. They made the first ones. So, that was the original prototype. You improve on it, improve on it, improve on it, improve on it. So, there are only two prototypes. What is that? First Adam, last Adam. First man, second man. There are only two prototypes. The first man has been, after the fall, has been formed in sin and iniquity and fear and shame and all these things. The new man is a completely different picture altogether. It's more of God. Incorruptible seed. He does not know what fear is unless you feed him fear. He has no fear of death. 
Okay, here's no. Honestly, I will tell you the simple example is that if you look at babies, okay, now Grace is a year plus, but you be if you look at the baby, you leave the baby alone. If it hears a sudden loud noise, it's it is scared. scared. But it is, we cannot even say it is scared. Mm-hmm. It is just re- like now. If you ask Gracie, she will tell you nose, ear, eye, and all. But ask her, does she really understand a nose? No, she does not understand her nose. She's just repeating what her parents Parents have taught her. Okay. So you need to realize the new man in so many ways is innocent and ignorant. Mm -hmm. Innocent and ignorant. Like the baby. You look at the baby. The baby is innocent and the baby is ignorant. But in that baby is everything of the old man. Everything of the old man. If that baby keeps on growing in the world, you don't have to do anything. You can isolate it so it doesn't get corrupted by the world. Lord, I mean, you can actually bring it up in a lab kind of a situation, but it cannot grow properly, but it can keep it from lot of evil. That is what the law was supposed to do. Okay, law's job is, you see, when children are born into believing families, they should live under the law. Under the law, meaning, don't do this, do this, don't do this, do this. The parents are the law, and they imitate the parents. You can protect the child. That's what the Bible says. Be excellent in what is good, and be innocent of evil. Then when they come to a particular age, what is happening is, Christ comes. Christ comes. Okay, if you go to First Peter, Second Peter chapter 1, and words 4, uh, 5 onwards, or 4 onwards. Okay, five onwards. Also for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith, virtue, virtue, to your virtue, knowledge, knowledge. to knowledge, self-control, self-control, self-control perseverance, perseverance, godliness, godliness, godliness brotherly, kindness. brotherly kindness, into brotherly kindness, love. Okay, let's go at the list again. Virtue, good knowledge, knowledge, self-control, self-control, perseverance. Godliness, godliness, brotherly kindness, brotherly kindness, and love, and love. How many are there? Seven. There are seven nations you have to get out of the country. Seven nations mightier than you have to dispossess them, and, and then you have to replace them with the seven. <coughs> but it begins with faith, mm. because you can have all this. You are still doomed without faith. Because faith is what brings the life of God. But you have this, already these seven in much increasing number. You have trained as a child to grow up in these seven things. And is growing up and growing up and growing up. And when faith comes, it will run easy. It won't struggle. It already has been fitted. Immediately it will be able to run. So these fundamental things are there. Okay fundamental things are there. So we need to realize this is how it works. So fear is a huge thing, but you have to face fear. And how do you face fear? Is that one, you have to really look into the word and believe in your heart and confess with your mouth always. I'm not afraid of death. Mm. I'm not afraid of death. But I will not die. But I will live and declare the works of the Lord. But I'm not afraid of death. See, all the things have to be believed and spoken. 
and you have to live like you don't have to take a risk don't have to tempt god by walking on the edge of the parapet you don't have to do those those are crazies you don't have to do those that's what the devil told jesus to do jump from there he says you shall not test the lord your god mm. that's that's being crazy you don't do that you can live a very normal life without fear without fear and i would say that almost i would say put it across that that's the way a man sh- or a boy should be brought up without fear because when he grows up without fear he has been trained to face all the situations and when he is of age to get married he is a man who does not fear <clears throat> fear because a fearful man when he gets married he becomes even more fearful because now he has to take care of two people instead of one and when he has five children he is even more fearful because he's always worrying and always anxious because you remember these are all connected with fear worry anxiety all these things are connected with fear so one of the first you see if you look at the old days if you look at the indian english literature of the old days you had books for boys and books for girls they were different and the books for boys was connected with boldness and courage and chivalry and all that and they were fearless men You look at the kind of technology we have and look at what they had they would sail the seven seas through the storms and all with no mortar nothing they had ships with this thing and how fearless and tough they were because they were brought that way mm. brought that way brought that way but we change this is this all part of this gender confusion the enemy is bringing so men have become fearful and women this is gender confusion that is taking place basically what if you look at god made man male and female god is neither male nor female it's not me neither female okay so it is one is talking about sex the other is talking about gender these are two different things masculine and feminine masculine and feminine okay so the feminine part is taken out <laughs> Adam and is made it into Eve. So she is female, he is male. Okay. And both glorify God. Mm. Both glorify God. Both are called to complement each other and not compete with each other and together when they work they glorify God. But what happens is fear comes in. That's the first thing that because see dominion was to be exercised without fear. animals did never had to fear adam and eve because they are not going to kill them and eat them no, they were all vegetarians <laughs> like vegetarians uh you were allowed to kill and eat it's after the flood if you notice before the flood all the animals came to noah god sent them and they came and they were all eating the same food even yeah. the lion ate grass that's why he was able to store up otherwise after one year all the other animals would have been eaten by the lions and this thing that didn't happen but post flood god will give them permission to eat meat okay now we are not espousing vegetarianism or any of those things god allowed man to eat meat and jesus ate meat and i told us to eat all meat so we don't have to worry about it but we are talking about fundamental principle where did fear come from it all comes with the fall with the fall and we have to learn how to handle fear and the way handling fear is focusing on the new man who's made in the image of Jesus Christ he despises the shame despises the shame okay despises the shame second if you if you if you look at babies right 
babies are not born clothed we clothed them you leave them alone they will not know what shame is but we tell them shame 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 puppy shame 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 they start getting shame okay now they should know in this fallen world they should know what shame is what modesty is but we teach them fear we teach them fear has to be taught there are certain things which they need to fear knife should be feared fire should be feared that's a good fear see we are not saying all fear is yes. bad okay yes. all fear is bad no there are good fears but we have to be very very careful about teaching the children between good fear and bad fear okay you should not fear poverty you should not fear poverty as a child of god you should not fear poverty so we have to be very careful about how we deal with fear how we deal with fear okay even when you deal with snakes with a child you have to be able to explain don't fear the snake what is danger about the snake is the poison not the snake the snake can't do anything to you but the poison can kill you so you have to be careful and don't fear all snakes because all snakes are not poisonous very few are poisonous and you have to tell them the first thing you need to realize is they are more afraid of you than you are afraid of them it is like the canaanites living in fear and afraid of israel and israel living on the other side refusing to cross because they are afraid of us <laughs> but the fact of the fact is the snakes are more afraid of us than we are afraid of the snakes okay so if you turn around and look you will see both parties are running snake is also running you are also running but even if you don't run the snake runs most snakes will run unless you provoke them they will run even the cobra will run like if you provoke them they will come after you because that's a defense mechanism so you have to teach children not to be afraid but also to be careful that's a dangerous thing so if you don't know the snakes avoid all snakes avoid all snakes okay you have to learn to deal with your fears this is okay okay when you are a child a knife is very very dangerous but that is a fear because but you have to use a knife some your elderly will have to start using a knife so if you have learned how this is a fear that comes with more with respect yeah. with respect okay it has the power to harm you but it also has the power to bless you if you use a knife properly you don't have to cut yourself but you can do so many things so many the simple thing called a knife or a blade can do so many things from from shaving to cutting your firewood you're talking about old days to cutting your meat for the surgeons to cut you to take your tumor out it can do so many things but it's also dangerous it's yeah. also dangerous that is not the fear we are talking about we are talking about a slavish fear where ultimately like jacob you start serving your fears yes yep serving your fears yep. you start serving your fears that is the fear which the bible is talking about we have to be very very careful that you you what happened during the covid was the spirit of fear like never was released you had to be careful about covid because it is a virus mm. so it is a virus or a bacteria virus right virus. it was a virus and nobody knew the nature of this virus but fear was installed into the hearts and minds people still haven't got over it 
Okay, so you have to treat it with respect. Okay, this is a dangerous thing. And okay, wash your hands and put your mask or whatever, social distancing, but not to be. So I do, because why this is important is because the Bible says in the last days, men's hearts will fail because of fear or because of what is coming, because they see pestilence, they see wars, they see famines, they see earthquakes, they see all that is can be shaken, being shaken. You know what? The fear is getting and fear and getting and without any of them really affecting them, they just die of a heart attack. You look at the number of people who have died, who are rich and celebrities and who are not even old. Just, just dying. <laughs> the heart is just giving away. But that's the core personality of yours. Though it is a thing that pumps iron, but when it says the hearts that fail, it is talking about a spiritual part of you also. It just gives and gives away because of fear. And God is trying to help us by saying, you know, don't be anxious. Don't worry. You're cutting your lifespan out by worrying and being anxious and being fearful. The devil knows this. Even if you're a child of God, he knows he cannot kill you, but he can save. By making you go in a particular way, he can reduce your lifespan. Because he knows how it works. So God says these things. And one of the first and fundamental things he says is that do not fear. Over and over again, an angel comes and says, do not fear, do not fear, do not fear, do not fear, do not fear. Why would he say that over and over again if it doesn't affect our lives and our destinies? And that's what's happening. Goliath is coming over there. Did anybody till the story is over know that Goliath could be brought down by a small stone? One stone. Wow. He could have been brought down with one stone. And you know Israelites are very good with the sling. Every, most of them are very good with the sling. But the problem was that they were so fearful they were running and hiding. So Goliath was not the problem. The fear was the problem. And the entire thing of Goliath being sent forward is to cause fear. Eight, nine, ten feet tall, all covered with bronze and he's intimidating, intimidating and more and more and more and more and more fear. So God says in this last days all this new Adani stock has fallen by how many percent, a hundred billion or whatever wiped out and he's India's richest man. He's no longer India's richest man. But all the government entities, others have invested in him. So there is fear coming into Anik. who? All the rich. The poor is not afraid because they never invested in Atani. <laughs> he's not even bothered about, he doesn't even know who Adani is. He's not bothered about Adani. But everybody is worried. Okay, so they're all, the palpitations are going up and all that. God says, you know what? He's, that's what he says. Don't be, be in this, in this world. Use the system, but don't be hooked into this system. Don't be hooked into mm. that system. If you're hooked into the system, then the system starts crashing. That's what he's talking about. Babylon is a spiritual system. And he tells his people, come out of Babylon. Because Babylon is rooted in fear. fear. Mm. Because you have a hierarchy at the top that always has controlled Babylon. From the time of Nimrod onwards, Babylon has been controlled by a set of people. And they cannot control the others without using the instrument of fear. Wow. They always have to use the instrument of fear and coercion to control the masses of fear. And God says, I have come to set you free. Yes. You don't have to fear anything or anybody. Be careful about stuff. You only have to fear God. And that fear of God is something. It is clean. It is sacred. That has got to do with something else altogether. 
So you have to battle fear every day, but you have to speak it. Man. Pastor, again, because you're talking about uh, domination, etc. This question number one, uh, how the Lord wants to rule us. This is question number one. It says, the Lord will reign over Israel and all other nations, but he will not rule as a dictator, but rather will share his rule with the saints. Are we saints? We are sinners. How can we be saints? All crooked people around. Nobody is perfect, but only God. Explain this to me, please. You said, you said this in one of your messages. And in the Bible, uh, in the book of uh, Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. Like, this is a, I mean, I'm not mentioning or wrote and this quote, but this is a person who is on the search. He still hasn't become a born again Christian, but listens to the messages and everything. So you will, you will, and until you come through that experience, you will not understand what is a saint. Okay, what is it? Because you're looking at sainthood or being a saint through the lens of religion. In religion, to become a saint, you have to be saintly in your works. Okay, whether you are a Muslim or a Hindu or anything, you have to go through that dharma. Then you are a dharmi. Mm-hmm. Or you have to go through these pillars of Islam. Then you become, and finally is going to Mecca, you become a haji. So all the things, are, this is what religion does, and this is the works of the law. There's a righteousness that comes from the works of the law, but the problem is the law is never satisfied, and you can never satisfy the, the law. law. So that is the concept about what saint is. But like we did, if you go to Hebrews 9.14, yes. Hebrews 9.14. How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God? No, 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 no. The one sacrifice. He, uh, 725. No. Hebrews 725. My mm-hmm. one sacrifice is perfected forever. Those who have been sanctified by faith through him. 725 is about going to Jesus. Huh? Atomos. Oh, okay. okay. Yeah, that is another one. It, look at 1040. Hebrews. My one sacrifice. He has perfected for you. Yeah. For by one offering, he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. Sanctified means being made into a saint. Made into a saint. Okay. But what has he done to them? He has already perfected them. What is he talking about? He's talking about, remember we, the earlier verse we had looked at first Peter 1.23. The seed by which you are born again. Okay, you are born again. The seed by which you are born again is incorruptible seed. It is holy seed. Mm. Okay, holy seed. God is literally using our language. Our language, okay. Adam's children were born after the fall. After the fall. So the seed of Adam was corrupted because it's a fallen man seed. The DNA of all Adamic children is corrupted. The DNA is corrupted. Okay, it's a spiritual DNA. 
It's not a physical DNA. It's a spiritual DNA, actually. The sin nature is spiritual. Mm. It's not a physical thing. It's a spiritual thing. That is the DNA by which a child is born. Mm. You don't have to do anything. The child automatically goes in that ways of that corruption. And the corruption is there in the body. And ultimately, the person grows and dies. The body just reflects one part of the corruption. What God is doing is that a person, when you believes in Christ... It is not that first, the first thing God does is that, that he forgives him of all his sins. Okay. Second thing he does is that he justifies him. That is not just forgiveness. He declares him just, just as if you have never, never sinned. sinned. Then he gives him the gift of righteousness that is God's righteousness. How can you do all these things? How he does the whole things is that, you know why? The incorruptible seed. This seed, or the incorruptible, which we use this term seed, is the very seed of God. The very seed of God. Incorruptible seed. Two things happen over there. The word and the spirit come together. This word and the spirit come together. And the, the person is, another person is actually born again in him. And that person is a saint. Amen. <laughs> In seed form. It's a saint. Okay. And now what has to be sanctified? But this person who is in has only one body and one soul to live. To live. Yeah. He is not given a different soul and a different body. No. He is given the same soul where the old man is and the same body through which the old man has lived. So his soul has to be sanctified. Its body has to be made holy and acceptable. That's what Romans 12, 1 and 2 is talking about. That is the process, okay? Offer your bodies as how? Living sacrifices. Living sacrifices how? Holy and acceptable. So he has to deal with his body. And he has to deal And the most important part of his soul is his mind. As a man thinketh, so he sees. The most important part of the will is there. But will is only making a decision. The will doesn't think of its own. The will does not have, the will is a different part of the soul. The will is the one with which you make a decision. But before the will can make a decision, there is a thinking that takes place. The will is making a decision according to the thinking. Okay, I am going to sleep late tomorrow. So the thinking went. I am going to wake up early tomorrow. The thinking, so the will is being directed by the mind. Okay. Emotions will play a part. No, I don't like going to church. The messages are too long. I feel so emotions are playing into your thinking. Now the emotions, the thinking and the will will go with that and say, you know what? I will go that way. I will go that way. Okay. In the same way, the Bible would say, therefore, in words to renew your mind, a new mind is the mind of Christ. Okay. Let us take a thing as an example about tomorrow. Okay, but how does a mind think? The mind thinks first is that, you know, the, the new mind has to be told, you know what? The first thing it says, is not how long the service is or how long the word it is. You need to go to what God has said. God has said, when you gather in my name, I'll be in your midst. Yes. I'll be in your midst. Okay. You know what? There's one place God always comes is when the church gathers in his name. I'm going to meet my Savior, my Redeemer, my Lord. He said I would be there, so I have to be there. 
That's how you begin with the mind. Jesus is going to be there. Jesus is going to be there. Jesus is going to be there. Then you start putting all the others together. If Jesus is going to be there, then I cannot go unprepared. I need to prepare to meet him. You know, it's, it's in a very um, terrible situation. I think it's Amos or one of them says, prepare to meet your maker. Okay. But we don't have to fear that way. We go in a different way. I'm going to prepare. So that is why for the Jews, Sabbath was from evening to evening. Mm. It was not from morning till evening because, you know, if their Sabbath is from Friday evening to Saturday evening, God was setting a pattern. Friday evening, you prepare. You prepare Friday evening. You prepare so that when you go to Saturday, when you, by the time you go to the synagogue or wherever you are going to worship, you have already prepared yourself. We don't realize that's the way we should do it too. That's the way we should do. Okay, we go Sunday morning. We come to service at nine o'clock. But if you like now, all those who are tuned in and listening within India, our time thing, they are the word. It's preparing them. The word is preparing them. Okay, and you should not keep yourself busy through the night. No, you should not. You should be very careful that this is a preparation to meet my God. You know, eat your dinner early, pray, whatever you do, go to bed early, wake up fresh, wake up fresh, get your sleep so you don't want to sleep over there. You don't want to waste time. You can do so many things. It's a preparation. That's why God gave those rules. No man should work. Okay, no man should walk. Now, you don't have to take it as a law, take it as a principle. I'm saying it's true. Why did God say not to work? Because one, it takes time from what I should be doing. Two, it causes distraction. It causes conflict when everybody doesn't work together. So, you know what I'm going to do Sunday morning. is what I used to do years and years. I used to do old days. You know what I do? Sunday morning breakfast is made on uh, Saturday night and kept in the fridge. And you nuke it, even the milk kept ready in the fridge so that Sunday morning when it's time to go to church it just takes five minutes just takes five it's already ready just takes everything is ready there's no delay at all there's no delay at all because you need to think what are you doing it you're preparing for something Monday you can afford to be a late or this thing, but Sunday I will not. I will not because you need to realize it's got to be the person you are going. So that's the preparation that goes. And if you do it consistently in your homes with your children, the children will realize God is different. Amen. You cannot flip flop about these things. You cannot, you know. Yes, they have to be trained, but how do you train them? You don't have to shout at them. You don't have to scream at them. You just say that this is it. God is important. We need to go. We cannot be late. We cannot be late. We have to be there on time. Before time, we have to be there. We cannot be even be on time. We have to be there before time. So what are we going to do Saturday? But Sunday evening was fun time. Sabbath is over. It's rest. So enjoy the rest of the evening too. Let's we as pastors had a meeting to us all. So don't always that, oh, this God is such a boring, terrible, no, he's not, it's also <laughs> a fun thing. Okay, so that's how you always balance Saturday evening and Sunday evening. You balance it both so the children will learn to revel God. I don't want to use the word fear because that same word fear is used in another context to revel God and to enjoy God. Amen. Enjoy God. Amen. Both. Both this way. You, know? you put this Patterns, you know what? These are patterns they carry in their minds. In their minds. So you, they need to get the real picture of who God is. Who 
the real picture of who God is. So that's what God is talking about. So we are saint positionally. And functionally, he's making us saints. So if you look at almost every episode, it is written to the The saints. saints. Mm -hmm. Or those who are called to be saints. Mm -hmm. Now there is a positional thing and there is a functional thing. The functional matters. Positional is not important. Now Mm -hmm. you go to again, for us familiar, Galatians chapter 4, words 1 and 2. Now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, does not differ at all from a slave, though he is a master of all, but is under guardians and stewards until the time appointed by the Father. So the thing is that everyone who is born again in Christ Jesus is an heir. What does it mean you are an heir? It means you have an inheritance. Have an inheritance. You are an heir. You have an inheritance. But the problem is that you're only an heir. You cannot inherit. You cannot inherit. To inherit, the condition is that you have to grow. Yeah. Okay, you have to grow. And we had all this in our history in the old days when a king died and the prince, prince was very, very young. He sat on the throne, but he didn't rule. There was somebody, a close uncle or somebody who was who ruled on his behalf yes. until he came of age. Until he came of And even you knew Athalia was trying to kill and they took him and hid him. And then when he came of age, yes. they introduced how the priest hit him. So these things are there. And if you go to 1 John and chapter uh, yeah, chapter 1 and verse 12 onwards. Chapter 1 verse 12. 12, 12. 1 John Chapter 1 or chapter 2? Chapter 2. Chapter 2. 2, 2, 12. 2, 12. Okay. I write to you little children because your sins are forgiven you for his name's sake. Mm. Okay. Three categories and 12, 1 or 12 to 14 or something. I write to you fathers because you have known him who is from the beginning. I write to you young men because you have overcome the wicked one. I write to you little children because you have known the fathers. And 14, I have written to you fathers because you have known him who is from the beginning. I have written to you young men because you are strong and the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the wicked one. Now this is not talking to the Sunday school and the youth group and the church. No, it's not. It's talking to the three categories in which God divides his children. There are children, there are young men, and there are fathers. The children, as long as they choose, children, I mean, the, 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 it's adult who gets saved, as long as he chooses to, uh, chooses to remain as a child, will not inherit. So if you look at the Corinthian church, if they don't change, they won't inherit. They're acting like children. They're division, all kinds of things, and they're full of gifts also. Full of gifts, they're operating all, but they don't know which order to operate. Everybody's operating in gifts. Everybody's just like our little children. No, they come after some church to Jesus. One fellow is with his car, one the other is a truck. That's how the Corinthian church is. <laughs> okay. And that's why the whole thing written by Paul about. But if you know, they're very gifted, but they're all children. They're all children. <laughs> all children. So if they had continued that way, they would not have inherited. Mm-hmm. They would not have inherited. To inherit, you have to move first from child to a young man. What is that about a young man? Because you are strong and the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the wicked one. The first thing about the child becoming a young man is he's learned how to fight the enemy. 
he knows how to. He understands. This is who I really am in Christ. And if I want an inheritance, I need to fight the wicked one and overcome him. And the way I can overcome is as the word of God has to become living. Living. My lifestyle has to change. Because you need to realize, sight is a lifestyle. Faith is a lifestyle. These are both lifestyles. The problem is we mix it both together. And initially that's the only way you can look because you grew up in sight and then you got saved by faith and now you are struggling. The old man goes by sight, the new man is trying to go by faith, but over and over and over and over and over as you go, you know what, you have to learn ultimately to live only by faith. Only by faith, you know. And what happens, you are overcoming the wicked one. You are overcoming the wicked, but it doesn't stop over there doesn't stop over there. Because if you come to Galatians 5, 6, okay? In Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything but faith working through love. One thing with young men who have got into spiritual battle and they're really good in spiritual battle, they're not loving. They're not loving. Because if all the time, if you're fighting the powers of darkness to show compassion and kindness and mercy, and this thing is very difficult because you don't show anything to this fellow, right? You don't show any mercy, any compassion, anything, no patience, nothing you have with the devil. You don't show the devil patience. You don't show devil compassion. You don't know. You're tough on yourself. You're beating your body to shame. All that, you're fighting all this battle. But the problem is when you go out there, the people are in that. Jesus was ruthless on himself, was the most compassionate person you could ever walk on earth because he was not acting as a young man, he was acting as a father. Acting as a father. So you need to realize, Paul learned all this through the process and he's telling that ultimately if you have to reign with the father, you have to be a father. You have to become the heart of the father. <laughs> so there is a process you're going through. Mm-hmm. You're going to go through a process. So you have to become a child. To a young, you can't become a child to a father. No, you can't. You have to become a child to a young man, to a father. So he puts all this. Thing. So, positionally, are you an heir? Yes. Functionally, will you inherit? Depends. Depends. So Depends. in the <laughs> sanctification process, there is a lot of suffering. Lot of suffering. It's a lot of suffering. Okay, Peter says, for to become a child to a young man, there's a lot of suffering in the flesh. You have to beat your body, as Paul says. Now, bring it to subjection. There's a lot of suffering. You, know, you have learning the spiritual disciplines, waking up in the earning, praying, fasting, meditating. You're learning all these disciplines. So many disciplines, what to say, what not to say. These are all tough disciplines, like in the army kind. There is suffering in it. Suffering in it. But when you become a father, it's a, it's a different kind of a suffering. You are learning to humble yourself, to swallow your pride, to show compassion, to play second fiddle, let them have their way. That's what Abraham is becoming a father with Lord, okay? We are brothers, you take the first choice. You take the first choice. Okay, he's humbling himself, he's learned. He's learned. But how did he learn? He had to go through the humiliation of Egypt. He must have lived that miserable, painful life sitting in that tent every day and wondering what's happening to Sarah. And he knows he's responsible. The pain, and it's, it's not a physical pain. It's not a physical pain. It's a pain in the soul of 
pain, sorrow, shame. And then he gets her back and he realizes, God has been so good to me. Sarah is untouched. Nothing has happened because harem so many are taken. They have to go through six months of preparation, one month of preparation before they will see the king for one night. So Sarah is saved. God's hand is upon Sarah. Nothing is happening upon her. And then God reveals it to Pharaoh that this is this man's wife. He blesses him more and reveals it. But what you have gone through, you haven't escaped. The suffering you go through. So what happens is that the next instant when he comes out and when there is conflict, he's acting like a father. His compassion is merciful because he who has been forgiven of much sins loves much. He understands the mercy of God. So he's merciful. So he tells Lord, you take. So you need to realize this is a process you go through. Process you go through. So that if you go to Romans chapter 8, Romans chapter 8, and words 16 and 17. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and join heirs with Christ if indeed we suffer with Him. If in, he says, you want to become joint heir with Christ? There is a process you have to go through that is a suffering. So for a young child to get into a young man, it's a suffering of the body. He has to discipline his body and everything, no body, mind training, all that he disciplines and it is. Now we discipline our children for an exam. If we don't teach them to discipline themselves for God, but that's a discipline to become a young man, how to fight this battles with the devil, with the, the flesh. flesh and all <laughs> that. You have to fight. But from the young man to become a father is enduring a lot of things. He says he endured the cross and despising the shame. Okay, and that's a different kind of a process you go through. That's a different process, okay? And he says if you do that, because Jesus had to go through it all, as a young man, he overcame the flesh and the devil. He was tempted and the devil couldn't find anything. But as a young man to become a father, you know, they're calling him names, they're questioning his parenthood. He doesn't even react. He never reacts to any of those things. Wow. He never reacts. He's just soaking it all in and what comes out is compassion and mercy and kindness. And forgiven on the cross, he's saying, Father, forgive them. They are abusing him. They are insulting him. But nothing, he, no reaction comes out. He says, the cause is bigger. Do you want to react to what they're saying or do you want to save them? Hmm. Okay, because, because as a father, what's a father actually trying to do? The father is trying to save his children. Hmm. He's trying to save his children. That is the heart of the father is that, you know what? I'm trying to, I'm not trying to win an argument. <laughs> I'm trying to save my children. Okay, save the children. And sometimes to save the children, what happens? The father goes through heartache. See, Adam and Eve sinned. They weren't very bothered. It is God who came searching. It's God who is looking. You see, the father wants to restore relationship. The children are not very much bothered. The Bible says, I've, all day I have stood. Nobody's coming. So you need to realize the father's hurt is different. See, the, after he hit the pig pen and even when he wasn't given the pig's will to eat, that is when he came to his senses. But the father was waiting every day. Every day he was waiting. 
and he was looking, my son will come back soon. So the grief and the sufferings of the father is different from that of a child. Mm-hmm. Okay, so there is a child, there is a young man, there is a father. And you go through that, you know what? You were positionally made perfect and you are being sanctified. You are being cleansed out, soul of the old man's reaction. And now he's possessing the life of Christ, replaced with the life of Christ. And then you can reign with Christ. You can reign with Christ. Christ can now give you, when Jesus comes back and reigns for a thousand years, he can give you power and authority because you will reign the way he reigns. These are people. You will not allow sin to be, but you will be very, very compassionate because the power and the authority that has been given to you is God's power and authority, visible power and authority, but you will not abuse it. You will not abuse it. You will know how to use it to save these people save these people because the final thing rests with God. That is at the end. So that's what we need to realize. So God is looking at us in every situation. How am I reacting to other people? How do I judge people? How do I deal with people? We have to always ask them, am I like a child throwing tantrums? My way, my way, my way. Or are you as a young man, you have no patience with anybody because you are fighting and winning your battles and you want everybody to win the battles and therefore you have no patience with anybody or are you acting, becoming more like a father where you have won your battles but you know, I know how I won my battles. It was difficult. So you know what, I'm going to show you more patience. Take your time. I'm there with you. Take your time. But don't get off the target. That is the target. Take your time. Take your time. You know, you fail ten times also. Get up and come back. Don't give up. Don't give up. Because you are different. I am different. What I came through and what you came through may not be identical. But the path we are putting is all the same. Jesus is the way. And the end is this. There is plenty of place on the throne. We are not in competing with each other. It's all that, you know. Because my purpose is basically the purpose of Christ to see, be part of the redemption and not be part of the condemnation. Hmm. That's how you look at you look at. So, do will everybody reign? No. no. Because Jesus tells in uh, to the church in uh, in Laodicea also. Now, who would give a church like that a promise? Like a terrible church, ready to be spirit, absolutely inwardly focused church. And he says to him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne. As I also overcame. So the p- p- format is there. We have to overcome as he overcame. Okay, how did he overcome? One, he denied himself. We are talking about his not the cross. When he was living on, first he denied himself. Second, he picked up his cross. And he daily followed his father. Followed his father. Mm. That's how he overcame. And when he overcame that way, he says, I have shown you my way. This is the same thing you do. You deny yourself. You pick up your cross and you follow me daily because I've shown you the way. Follow me. And he says, you know what? You will overcome. And then you can reign. You can reign. Okay. And reigning also, see, these are all words that we use which has multiple layers of meaning. Layers of meaning. Okay. When we talk about reigning has ruling and having authority and all that. Okay. The other meaning of reigning is the quality of life. The quality of life. You're not ruled by circumstances, but you're... Yeah, you rule your circumstances. Also, the quality of life you will enjoy in eternity. 
Because remember, our life is God. Okay, John chapter 17, right? Verse 4 and 5. This is eternal life that you know. How we will know God. How we will know God. Okay, you go to that. This is eternal life that they may know you. The only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Now let me ask this question. Think about a father. Think about me, okay, as a father. Think about, let us say I have three children. One is five years old. One is 20 years old. And one is 35 years old and is a father. Who understands me better? The father. The father. <laughs> because he's gone through what I have gone through. <laughs> of course. <laughs> now I understand my God. How you manage this brat? I understand how you manage. He understands. <laughs> so you need to realize God is telling, you know what God is telling, you know, come as fathers, you will experience me better. You will understand what I am better. Mm-hmm. Of course, the little child also. But what does a little child actually know? Munchy daddy, pitchy daddy. Mm-hmm. Two things he knows. Forgive me, forgive me, forgive me, forgive me. Oh, God is good all the time. All the time God is good. So if I am bad, Lord forgive me. Or if I am good, you bless me. The child only works on these two things. You know? <laughs> do, don't, do, don't, do, don't. Okay? That's all the child knows. Like, so the experience of the child of God the Father is true. Because if you go back to that verse, 1 John uh, 12, no? Chapter 2, 2, two 12. 12, no? 13. If you look at it, you know what it says? I write you children because your sins are forgiven you for his name. So the children know about forgiveness of sins, okay? Because they know go to the Father and the Father will forgive. They have understood that part of the love of the Father. Verse 13, okay? I write you fathers because you have known him who is from the beginning. I write you young men because you have overcome the wicked one. I write you little children because you have known the Father. You look at that. Little children also know the Father. Fathers also know the father, but the way you know the father, it is written not the same way. You have known the fathers from the from beginning. beginning. From the beginning. Your knowledge of the father is different from the knowledge of the children of the father. You have known him from, you know his, how he is, and the alpha and the omega. Exactly. You know him. You know his attributes. You know, you know, his, you know him differently. You have experienced him as a person, exactly. as a, this thing. No? The child also knows the father. The father also knows the father. But it is, it is not the same way. And that is the saints who will be called to rule. Because you know what, when God is, God is, uh, giving authority, He's giving authority over an unredeemed earth after the tribulation, unredeemed the earth, of which many will get saved. So potentially they are His children. And God is saying, can I put you in charge of my children? Wow. See, if you want a babysitter, as father and mother are both going to work and you want a babysitter, you will you hire anybody? No, no. no. But to work in your house, you will. Mm-hmm. You just look at AC efficient, this thing. But when you're taking care of your babies, you're not looking at efficiency. You're not looking at that. Efficiency is only one of the factors. The first thing is that your kid. Patient. Is he patient? That's is he careful? <laughs> is he gentle with the kids? Is he kind? If he this thing, does he? That is the first thing you observe. You know why? Because you're taking care of my child. Okay, so what God is looking for those who will rule is different because there is those who will rule and those who will be ruled over. But those who are being ruled over, go go to the book of Revelation. Book of Revelation chapter 21. This is where 
Eternity begins, right? Verse 20, okay. 24. You see that? The nations of those who are saved shall walk in its light and the kings of the earth bring their glory and honor into it. So the the question you have to ask is if there are kings, then who are they ruling? What they are ruling. So the kings are ruling over God's own children. Mm. They are not ruling over somebody else's children. This is the redeemed earth. So all those they are ruling over are his own children who refuse to grow on earth. They are his children, but they are his children. So for them to rule over them, they need to have become a father. He's not going to let anybody, he's not going to let even angels rule over them because these are his own children. So you need to realize when God is talking about, so royalty will be there in eternity. All will be God's children, but there will be kings. There will be kings. Right? Queen Elizabeth had many children, right? But one is king. One is king. And Prince Charles also has two sons, but one will be king. And he has, you need to realize, Prince Charles is the king. William is crown prince. And the third in line is not Prince Harry. Third in line is Prince William's eldest son. He's the third in line. Eldest, eldest son or daughter? Yeah, eldest son. son yeah, son. son. He's the third in line. Not Prince Harry. So there's, this, you need to realize that's how it works. So God has many children. All are princes. All are not kings. All are not kings. Okay, all are not kings. So here it is not in Nature of birth, what, when you were born in hierarchy that way, it is basically of your character, where you sanctified. If you don't teach this, people will not take sanctification seriously. I am saved. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Have okay. Yeah, you're saved. Thank you, Lord. Children only know that. <laughs> okay, thank you, Lord. But God says, remember, with one sacrifice, he has perfected everyone. Why? God has only perfect children. God has no imperfect children because the seed by which you are born was incorruptible. So he has perfect children, but you are being sanctified. So don't fight that sanctification. But in that sanctification, there is suffering. Suffering. There is suffering. You cannot be sanctified either as a young man or as a father without suffering. It is not possible. It's simply not possible. It will not happen. It cannot happen because that is the nature of the old man. The old man will not easily humble himself. So God has to create situations where he is forced to humble himself. Forced to humble himself. He won't humble himself because he's, he's proud. His old nature is a proud nature. He won't humble himself. So if he's a proud man, God will cause him to no, I will never ask anybody. I will never depend on anybody. God says, you can't look like that. <laughs> you can't be like that. That's not a right attitude. That's not my attitude. That's not my attitude. That my attitude. That's 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 pride, okay. But I have to humble you. So I will go in a create situation. I'm going to create situations where you will be forced. You will be forced. See, some of the statements sometimes we make very religiously from the old man using scripture. <laughs> old man also can use even devil can quote scripture so be very very careful about it who quotes scripture is the new man and not the old man because you know what 
Because the first blessing Jesus pronounces in the Bible is, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. What is he talking about? He theirs is the kingdom. They are the ones who will inherit. Mm. Blessed are the meek, they will. Theirs is the earth. Now ask me this question. Are children meek? Mm. Are young men meek? No, they are not meek. <laughs> Meekness is a, it's, it's not an easy, we don't like meekness. But God says the meek shall inherit the earth. Mm-hmm. So all those who will come with Jesus to rule the earth for a thousand years are meek. Meek people. <laughs> meek. Are meek people. So you have to look at it and say, oh Lord, that's one quality required at me, market, Lord. Help me. Make me meek, Lord. Teach me meekness. Help me meek. And Jesus said the first thing, learn of me for I'm mm. meek and so if he's going to come and rule from Jerusalem as the king of kings, then he's the meekest of them all. Yep. Look at this situation. Israel was the most, first generation was the most rebellious, <laughs> stiff neck. You can't help them because they were children. They had lived in misery, <laughs> misery, slavery. They, in their soul was a mess. Soul was a mess. Really their soul was a mess. God had so much compassion on them. But to rule them, he needed a meek man. And once he lost his meekness, that's, that's it. God said, you're disqualified to take them in. Because what he lost was his meekness. What he did was because he lost his meekness, he got angry. He lost. He said, you don't know these children. I know yeah. this. I know what they have come through. Of course, when I deal with them, I'm only dealing with the rebels among them. I'm not dealing with them. Most of the rebels among them, were those who were masters over them, taskmasters over them in Egypt. So they also got some bhav into their heads. Okay, we are better than them. That's why the Pharaoh chose us. And that got into their heads. God says, let the earth open. And they go down (laughs) with their big heads. Go down over there. But you need to realize, God, see. The meek shall inherit the earth and the proud shall inherit hell. (laughs) If you look at those 600,000 people who came in, God took care of them for 40 years without them doing anything because he was a father to them. He fed them, he clothed them, their shoes never wore off. Every battle they fought in the wilderness, they won. They lost not a single battle. Do you know that? They didn't lose a single battle. Yes, Moses prayed, Joshua fought. But the fact that they did not lose a single battle, they did not go one day hungry. They did not go one day naked. They did not go one day barefoot. You know why? Because God was a father. He says, I am personally directly responsible for these children because I brought them out and I brought them in the wilderness. They have nobody but me, so it doesn't matter what they are. I will take care of them. One thing I will do, I will not allow one of them to cross the Red Sea and go back. They will all be here. They will not go back. They are all under the blood. They will stay under the blood. Wow. <laughs> you have to understand the father heart of God, how it is. And then we realize, you realize, okay, Moses was the only father among them. <laughs> Even Joshua was in Joshua. was getting up. So they're all prophesying. He says, I wish everybody prophesied. What's your problem? You're acting like a, you're acting like a young man. They haven't fought my battles. They haven't overcome like this. How can they prophesy? Moses said, you see it. That is all good. But you should have my heart. Let everyone prophesy. My desire is everyone becomes like that. <laughs> I must, I but don't know. Joshua, if you look into it, never became a Moses. Mm-hmm. Never became a Moses. Therefore, yeah, therefore, he could never raise up 
a generation, generation. he could not. That was his, Joshua was a young man. The typical picture of a young man in the Bible is Joshua. Joshua was a young man who fought his battles and won. Moses was a father. And the first generation who came out were all children. So you will see that. That is how you see. And if you see the first three kings of the Bible, Saul was a child who never grew. David was a father. Solomon was a young man. So Solomon was a young man. But David was a father. David was not a young man. Yeah. He began as a child, as a young man, but he as a father. He was always a father. But Solomon was a young man. He never became a father. So you will never see him showing compassion to anybody. I wish I would see him showing compassion to anybody. Nobody. He never shows. Beginning of his life or end of his life. He doesn't show compassion to anybody. <laughs> And this is the danger. This is, there are, these are the principles put up in there. If a young man doesn't become a father, he always has a possibility of reverting back to his old self. That's why I said, this is not a Plato. You have to keep moving in this journey. You cannot stay in a Plato. Even a young man, even he has overcome the double, he cannot. And you cannot. Because if you stay over there, that is not your end point. Your end point is further. Jesus is not the author and he doesn't take halfway. He wants you to go take you the full way to make him. God wants to make us like Jesus. And Jesus is a father. He's the everlasting father. He says, if you have known me, you have seen the father. And that's what happens to Solomon. He doesn't go further. And what happens is he starts sliding back. The simple question we ask is, this is where you need to have. There are goals that God has fixed which are eternal. The issue is that you set a goal and you achieve that goal and if you achieve that goal, after that what will you do? What will you do? After what will you, you don't know what to do. Mm. So Solomon had set a goal, but his goal was the goal of a young man. And he achieves it very early. After that he doesn't know what to do. And he just bitters and goes into, he just goes in every direction and falls apart. But David always set a goal. The goal was this. It was God, 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 God. It is God. He's always chasing after God. And that's the goal you should set because there is no end to that. Even eternity we will be still trying to figure God out. He set that goal very early in life. Very early in life his goal was this, was God. You know? And that's the goal. That's what he says. You have known him from the beginning. beginning. What does that mean? In the beginning itself they had set the goal. It was to know God. I want to know you. If you look at Apostle Paul, that is what his goal. I want to know him. I want to know you. Okay. And this is what God is talking about. And that's how we have to look at life. Like I said, you have to look at faith, not in the abstract. Faith is a lifestyle. Faith is a life. If sight is a life, my righteous shall live by faith. So before I became righteous, how did I look? The unrighteous loved by sight. So sight is a life. Faith is a life. We have to see it. And God says, the just shall walk by faith and not by sight. That means God says, don't mix this two. Don't try to walk. And that's what you do. But don't try to. So whatever is of sight, I will not accept it. Whatever is of faith, I will accept it because in that the righteousness of God is displayed. Okay. 
And this is the old man goes in their way of sight. And he finds his fame and his glory and everything and shame and anger. Everything is connected with that. In the life of faith, it is the righteousness of God and the glory mm. of God. Amen. Yes. Because you have to be very, very careful. You could do in the new man a real, true act of faith and then the old man steps in and takes the glory. Because both are in the same yes. body. Yes, 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 yes. True. Very, very subtle. The new man can do the work and it is the work of God. He did it by faith. It was the power of God and everything. And when God is about to get the glory, the old man steps in and takes the glory and walks away. And God still didn't get his glory. That's it. It's all gone. It's still gone. gone. The problem is both are sitting in the same container. And the same soul. The soul is not different. The old man's soul and the new man's soul is the same soul. Only thing they are fighting for who will prevail in this soul. And who will manifest itself through the body. That is why God is talking about the sanctification or the saving of the soul. The new man has to conquer and conquer and conquer and it becomes the soul becomes the battleground. Mm. And that's where it is. Okay, so God will put you in situation. He will put Paul in prisons to see how you will react. How will you react? You know? We will be put in prison kind of situations. You won't be put in prison. <laughs> you will be put in prison kind of situations in homes, in offices, all prison kind of situations. What is a prison where you don't have control? Where you, the control is in the hands of somebody. So you could be like Jacob. You are living in Laban's house. The control is in the hands of five people. Laban and his two daughters and their two concubines. The question is, what will you do? You need to realize, you need to realize it is that 20 years yes, in that shape. environment that prepared him, made him ready to become this. Yeah. Now he's clinging on to God. Mm-hmm. Earlier he only wanted to use God. Now he's clinging on to God and says, I will not let you go. What caused him? What brought him that? It's not that he's hungry. There's no hunger. It's not that he's not rich. He's got all the amenities of life, but his soul, he has been bruised. He's ready. He's ready. So God puts us in prison kind of situations. And he's very man, very yeah, he's very man or a woman. No, he puts you through. No? And the same thing. If he wants a young man to become a father, the young man says, Lord, I want to be like. Sometimes young men don't know what they're praying for. I want to be like you, Lord. God says, okay, fine. And suddenly everything changes. And that's what happens to Joseph. Next 13 years, it is humiliation and shame. He's not, he's not coming from a poor family. He's not coming from an unloved family. He's coming from a very well-to-do rich family where he is his father's heartbeat. And he's special category in his home itself. And that's the boy who sold us a slave. We look at his work ethics and integrity and all, but you don't know what he went through his soul. Because it is written, iron entered his soul. That's one of the translations of Psalm. No, until iron entered his soul. The humiliation he's doing. The fact that what he has to do do in Potiphar's house and what he has to do in the prison, the humiliation, the shame and all of it is actually shaping him and shaping him. The question is which way will he go? Will he go into bitterness, anger and revenge or he will become kind and compassionate and he will be thought and righteous and only wants to save 
and feed and take care of people. What is he going to be? That's what God is. That the whole thing you need to realize is balancing on it. So he, 11 years are over, he thinks it's time to get out, but he's not ready yet. God causes that man to forget him. God knows when we are ready. Only God knows. None of us know when we are ready. Only God knows when we are ready. Sometimes we are fighting and pushing and this thing and all. God, Lord, why is this? Not ready. But I think I'm ready. You are not ready. You are not ready. And that's at 13 years, at the age of 30, he's ready. And if you look at him from the age of 30 onwards, his entire is a father. father. Very kind, very compassionate. Even when dealing outwardly, he shows all that, but inwardly, Vedanvashti is upholding. You have to get them back. If I show myself now, none of them will get saved. So I have to put across this face as a very tough man. The whole idea is to get them across. But put their money back. Give them plenty of this. Let them eat. That's what God is talking about. So if you need to talk about the saints ruling, yes, positionally, all are saints. Because God has no wicked among his children. We are all saints. But functionally, God is putting it. That is his sanctification process. How you will handle. How you will handle. Yes, Pastor Vijay. Pastor, I think it's done 8.320. Yes, we can stop there for today. Yes. Okay. So that's where we are. Tomorrow is first Sunday. And we shall pray. Father, we just thank you, Lord. We just thank you, thank you, thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. We just thank you. We just praise you. We just worship you, Lord. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. We are not saved by our works. Mm, Yes, Lord. Yes. If we were saved by our works, Lord, even after saving, Lord, our works doesn't qualify us for salvation, Lord. Thank you, Father. We are saved by putting our faith in the work of your Son. He is our righteousness, Lord. Nothing but Christ and Christ alone, Lord. But Father, we pray we will not forget our eternal destiny. The sanctification of the entire person, Lord. That we can conform us to the image of your Son. That we will be true to who you are. True. The life that we have should be your life and not our life, Lord. That's our struggle, Lord. This evening, I commit everyone here, those who have heard, who will hear, everyone, Lord, into thy hands. Help us not to forget your promises. He who overcomes shall inherit all is what you have said. Mm. There is an inheritance kept for us. We can lose that inheritance and enter into thy kingdom with nothing. Still a child, but with nothing. Kept under guardians as appointed by the Father. Or we can overcome and inherit and rule with the Father. The choice is ours. I pray, Father, help us to make every day the right choice. We are weak, but you are strong. We need grace, more grace, more grace. As the days get tougher and tougher, we need more grace to overcome, Lord. Thank you, thank you, Father. Commit everyone into their hands. Everyone who is ill, I speak healing into their bodies. Everybody who is restless, I speak peace. To everyone, Lord. 
pray this Saturday night, we will be still and know that you are God. Thank you, thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Amen.